0: StoryButton is like a radio that's built for easy listening to your favorite kids' podcasts like ours. And the best part is there's no subscriptions or fees to access the content. This week, save $10 and get free shipping when you go to storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. That's storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. Have you ever ridden a bicycle? If so, you've probably experienced the thrill of going so fast that the wind whips your hair and clothes around. You feel free and fast and exhilarated, like nothing can stop you or catch you. Like you could ride the wind straight up into the sky. Nowadays, cycling isn't as popular as sports like basketball, baseball, football, or soccer. But in the late 19th century, right after the bicycle was invented, people went crazy for it. Tens of thousands would gather to watch races all over the United States, Europe, and Australia. And the unlikely hero of the cycling world for a time was an African-American man named Marshall Taylor, nicknamed Major. Major's mother and father moved from Kentucky to Indianapolis, Indiana, where he was born. We don't know a lot about them. His father Gilbert fought in the Civil War for the North. Gilbert worked as an attendant for a wealthy businessman named William Southard. This connection to the Southard family would prove lucky for Major. Gilbert brought Marshall along to his job sometimes, and he became best friends with the Southard's son, Dan. At this time, blacks still faced a lot of unfair treatment in the United States, but even though the Southards were white, they encouraged the friendship. In fact, when they saw how happy Dan was with Marshall, they arranged for him to stay at their house for long periods. Dan and Marshall would play with all kinds of toys in his playroom, Build things in William's workshop and went to school together. But the best thing about the Southards house, once he got a hold of it, was Dan's bicycle. Major loved riding that bicycle and soon learned how to do tricks. Soon the Southards brought him his own bicycle as a gift. One day, when the bike needed repairs, he took it to a bike shop. He showed the owner, Mr. Hay, some of his tricks, and a crowd gathered to watch. Major stood on the seat of the bike while riding and hopped over the handlebars to get off. He could ride on narrow planks, like a balance beam, and go down sets of stairs. Mr. Hayes got an idea. If Major could attract so many visitors to his shop, maybe he could help him sell bikes. He offered him a job then and there. Marshall helped out sweeping and dusting the shop, and performing tricks to attract passers-by. He often wore a jacket that looked like an old military uniform, and that's how he got his name, Major, which would stick with him. When he had a spare moment, he would marvel at a gold medal that sat in the shop window, a prize for a bicycle race. He imagined winning a race, the crowd cheering and the band playing just for him as they pinned a gold medal to his shirt. Mr. Hayes noticed him admiring the medal and encouraged Major to enter an upcoming race. Thirteen-year-old Major was nervous, but Mr. Hayes told him to just ride as far as he could. Major agreed. He'd been riding miles every day, and maybe didn't realize just how fast and strong he was compared to the others. He rode so hard in the race, trying to keep ahead of the others, that he began to feel faint. After crossing the finish line, he collapsed from exhaustion. But when he woke up, guess what he saw pinned to his chest? It was a gold medal. He had won. As Major grew older, he entered more races and trained more seriously. He caught the eye of a champion cyclist named Bertie Munger. Bertie was amazed by Major's dedication, speed, and skill. Bertie's racing days were over, but he was opening a bicycle factory and wanted Major to work for him and race on his bicycles. The two quickly became friends. Training together on their bikes, many famous cyclists would visit Bertie and Major was impressed by how kind and helpful they were towards him. But Bertie Munger knew how to choose good friends. Not everyone in the cycling world was so nice. Major discovered this when he began to race on the professional circuit. Bertie entered him into his first race himself without letting the organizer see Major. He worried that if the race officials knew he was black, they would not let him race. Major hid near the starting line and hopped on his bike just as the starting pistol was fired. He pedaled madly and won. Eventually, Bertie moved his factory to Worcester, Massachusetts, and Major came with him. His goal was to become the fastest man in the world and win a world championship. Worcester was a more tolerant place than many other parts of the country. Major trained there and made it his home. He joined an African-American church and bought a house. He rode miles every day, lifted weights, and ate a healthy diet. He never smoked or drank alcohol— and because he was deeply religious, never raced on Sunday. But Major had to travel for races in areas that were less accepting. There were some places where he couldn't safely travel at all. Still, he won most of the races he entered and was becoming famous. As Major won more races and became more well-known, many white cyclists were angry. They thought he shouldn't be allowed to compete because of the color of his skin, but they were also embarrassed that he kept beating them. Some white cyclists began to gang up on Major, trying to push him off the track or cause him to crash. As a result, he had several Major falls. Major even began to feel that racing was too dangerous. But a sports promoter named William Brady had different ideas. He wanted to manage Major's career and help him become the national and then world champion. He actually thought people would be curious to see Major ride against the best white riders many of whom had treated him so poorly. And that would make him a lot of money. Major agreed, even though it was dangerous. He realized that if he was going to prove that blacks were capable of doing anything whites could do, he couldn't just quit. He had to stay on his bike. After training and racing for a year with Brady, Major was ready to take to the track at the World Cycling Championship in Montreal, Canada. He was still the target of racist treatment from other riders and officials in the U.S., but it didn't matter. Major won most of the races he entered, so he qualified. And as you might have guessed, he won, even setting a world record for a one-mile sprint. But the proudest moment for Major came after the race, when the crowd cheered and the band began to play a victory song. In the United States, when Major won a race, the band would usually play a popular tune about African Americans at the time. These songs had ugly, insulting lyrics, and even though they were played by instruments and not sung, people knew the words. But in Montreal, the band chose a different song to celebrate Major's victory, the Star-Spangled Banner. Major later wrote, "'My national anthem took on a new meaning for me that moment.' I never felt so proud to be an American before, and indeed, I even felt more American at that moment than I ever felt in America. Now Major was an international star. Offers came in from all over the world for him to race in different countries and challenge the top cyclists of the day. He went to Europe and raced another world champion, Edmond Jacqueline. He traveled to Australia to compete against their national champion, Dan Walker. Despite being rivals on the track, Major became good friends with Walker. Major was always a good sport. He never let competition on the racetrack get in the way of good behavior off it. But whenever he came home to the U.S., Major was reminded of the unfair treatment and racism that infected the sports in his own country. Officials fined him when he got sick and couldn't race. Other cyclists continued to try to ban him, push him off the track, or make him crash. And just like other African Americans at the time, hotels and restaurants often refused to serve him. But his life did have many bright spots. Major fell in love with a young woman from his church named Daisy. The two were married and traveled around the world while Major raced again in Australia and Europe. When he returned home this time, Major was tired. He especially didn't want to race in the U.S. anymore if it meant risking his life. He and Daisy had welcomed a baby girl to their lives. Over the next several years, he took several breaks from cycling, but couldn't quite bring himself to quit completely. Over time, he stopped winning so many races and finally decided to retire for good. He started several businesses, but none were successful, and he lost much of the money he'd made cycling. In 1917, years after his retirement, Major entered one last race. It was an old-timers race for cyclists who were retired. His old friend, Bertie Munger, came to start him in the race. A starter would hold the racer's bike upright, so when the starting pistol went off, they'd be ready to start pedaling immediately. Bertie had started Major in his very first professional competition, but this time, Major knew it would be his last race. Major Taylor would have won bicycle races even if he had been born a hundred years after he was. He was an excellent cyclist, fast, strong, dedicated, and strategic. But because he was born at a time when many white Americans had ugly, wrong ideas about African Americans, Major showed that he was not just an excellent athlete, but an extraordinary human being. He kept going, fighting with every stroke of his pedal against people who cheated, taunted, and attacked him. He acted with a bravery, grace, and sportsmanship that most of his rivals couldn't measure up to. As Bertie held his bike in the last race, Major was comforted to have his best friend and most dedicated supporter beside him. When the starting gun cracked, Major Taylor pedaled like the wind, strong and free on the track, and he won. We hope you enjoyed this episode about Major Taylor. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new episode.